everyone's on their phone Bibles in our lounge room tonight. Wonder what sort of Bible you've got. John 15. Uh, can I just we just read through the first first five five verses of, of 15. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit. So they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, these words of Jesus, they can, they can bring great joy to our hearts. Or they can bring fear to our hearts. And one thing, if I'm vulnerably honest, tonight is that I've often read those first five verses of, of John chapter 15 and I've thought to myself I don't really have a lot of fruit what's what's the fruit in my life what what fruit do I have from following Jesus I mean I'm no Billy Graham I haven't seen thousands of people come to know Jesus because of me hundreds maybe tens I haven't, I haven't. and maybe you're the same what fruit is he talking about? Because I want to make sure that I'm a fruit bearer. Because <laughs> if you read those words, you find out what happens to the branches that aren't fruit bearing. They get cut off. And, and a bit later on, you find that they get thrown into a fire eventually after they dry out. They get cut off the vine. Well, so I thought I'd do some digging and to start with, one thing I realise is that um, our God is a God who expects fruit. He expects fruit. You have a look around at, at the creation and you see that he has set a system in, in, in process whereby there, there happens to be fruit. So, for example, trees. When I was a young child going to Sunday school. Uh, my mother was the Sunday school teacher and she told us that God created all the trees. Those trees we can see God created them. And I thought to myself, no, he didn't. Those trees aren't, aren't 100 years old. God didn't create them. But he created the first trees and you know what they produced? Seeds. And they produced more trees, which produced what? More seeds. And so on and so forth. You look around and we see this God who is a God of, of, of fruit, of regeneration, of life. Look at the uh, example of marriage, putting uh, a husband and a wife together. Now, not all marriages have children, but it was God's design in, in the Garden of, of Eden that the, the first man and the first woman would combine together to reproduce, 
another human being and then another human being and then another human being and and what was god's words to to adam and eve go forth and multiply god is a god who loves to multiply it's his it brings him joy to see his creation doing what it was designed to do and all of creation is actually worshiping god right now the birds they just keep having eggs and more birds the the trees they keep producing seeds and fruit with seeds in them to produce more and more and more and we see that god has set in a design of fruitfulness god expects fruit jesus shared the parable of the sower you know with the four soils and um well and one of them isn't soils it's rocks but the parable of the sower right and he the whole point of the whole parable is the production of fruit or wheat seeds you know three 30 times 50 times 60 times 100 times whatever it is is you plant one seed and you expect to get some fruit out of it with more than one seed in it which is a reproduction thing we plant a seed for an apple tree you just plant one seed and you produce an apple tree that produces more apples with more seeds there's this it's there you get it right god expects fruit god expects fruit and so when jesus hits the scene and he says i am the true vine or i am the true grapevine or i am the vine in some translations he's talking about being a special vine in fact the old testament talks about israel as being god's vine did you know that god's great vine and god expects to see fruit from israel all the way through the bible expects to see his commandments bearing fruit in their lives of prosperity and blessing and he expects to see them being a blessing to the nations as well and he expects to see this fruit and he expects to see them obeying these commandments and time and time again we see in the bible they fall short they they mess up they try and then they fail and uh, you just have to read a lot of the old testament to see that pattern where israel could not quite produce the fruit of perfect fruit that god required and he already knew that which is why he decided before creation to send jesus christ who actually is the a figure of a new israel god's holy people in one person jesus christ and so jesus comes and says i am the vine i'm the best vine i'm not the old israel i'm the new israel i'm the new covenant bringing person on the scene and all the ears pricked up when jesus said that he said i am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener god expects fruit you know fruit is the natural manifestation of the dna in the vine you might have heard us say before we've got a passion fruit vine out the side yard it, it's always going to grow passion fruit and leaves and flowers which end up being fruit but it's never going to grow a grape it's never going to grow a banana it just doesn't do that because it's a passion fruit vine and the fruit on that vine is a manifestation of the dna that's running through the branches through the roots through the whole system right 
And Jesus says, I am that. I am, I am the vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. Right? But the point is, this, this branch has to produce fruit. It's not producing fruit, so it's cut off. Fact, if you look at that, that word could actually mean, that verse in some translations, uh, and in the Greek, it's, it's, it can mean lifts up instead of cuts off, which I like <laughs> because uh, it, it's not as severe. But the idea there is that it could be cut off, and if it's cut off, that's fine. God can always put it back on the vine. He's a God of miracles. But if it is lift up, the idea is that, it, that he lifts up as a gardener. He lifts up the branch that doesn't produce fruit. He lifts it up and, and, and splays it in a, in a way that it sees more sun and it gets more air and it's able to throw out its tendrils and it's able to actually have the environment where it can actually produce the DNA that's already in it. And so Jesus says, uh, he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, or it could mean he lifts up every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more fruit. Your reward for producing fruit is being cut back. How is that? It's being cut back. Jesus always has his pruning, pruning secateurs in his hand and he cuts back. If, if we're willing to listen, he, he cuts us back. Um, here's some uh, examples. There's this, um, I don't know if you've ever said anything that's crazy to Jesus before, like told him what to do. Anyone ever tried to tell God what to do? I know sometimes I have. I thought I had a better idea than God had about a certain situation or two in my life. Jesus predicts his death, right? And uh, Peter says to him, no, you won't die, Jesus. You, you'll never do this. He rebuked Jesus. That's an all-time classic. Peter rebuking Jesus. Say, you can't die. You'll never die. Jesus tells him, get behind me, Satan. Uh, Jesus rebuked, uh, Jesus predicts his death again. Uh, let's go to uh, Luke chapter 9. He um, predicts his death again in um, Luke chapter 9, verse 44. And the disciples are, they're not sure what he means. They're not sure what Jesus is saying. And... Um, then he goes on and talks about the greatest of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, greatest in the kingdom, down in verse 46. Then his disciples began arguing about which one of them was the greatest. But Jesus knew their thoughts, so he brought a little child to his side. So here's the disciples having an idea of what's best. I want to be the greatest, or you're going to be the greatest. How is, this, how is your kingdom going to work, God? It must work similar to the, to the kingdom that we're a part of in this world. So um, our bags being the greatest. And then that person can be the second greatest. And we like to have ideas like that. But Jesus, he gets his pruning shears out and he grabs a child and sits the child down in their midst. And he says, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my father who sent me. 
whoever is the least among you is the greatest. You know, he just flips it on the other, flips it upside down. We think we're going to be the greatest by being the greatest, but Jesus says, no, to be the greatest, you need to be the least. So I wonder if you've ever had Jesus get his pruning shears out in your life before. Because what happens is, if we flick back to John 15, is that Jesus prunes by the words that he spoke to the disciples. It says he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more fruit. Then he says in verse 3, you have already been pruned or cleaned. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. So the words that Jesus has already spoken to the disciples have actually helped them to understand kingdom values more and more. Because Jesus didn't go to the local Bible college, no offence to Bible college students, but he didn't go to the local you know, rabbinical Bible college and pick the best graduates and then sign them up as his 12 disciples. He went around the Lake of Galilee. He went around the, to way off places and, and chose chose men that were quite different, quite eclectic, and uh, new wine, so to speak. And Jesus chose them to, um, to, like sponges that he could speak into, values that weren't already ingrained in their hearts. Although we find that there are values ingrained in their hearts. Another, another one, which is in Luke chapter 9, um, the... Um, the disciples come to Jesus in verse 49 and uh, John said to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told them where to go because they weren't part of our crowd. They weren't part of our group. So we, we just told them to stop doing that. You know, they're not out church. They, they, don't, they don't sing songs like we sing songs in church. They, they don't actually, you know, wear the same clothes like we wear at church. They, you know, they don't fit in with our crowd, Jesus. So we told them where to go. <laughs> Jesus gets his pruning shears out and he says, don't stop him. Anyone who is not against you is for you. There's a kingdom value. There's this, there's this idea sometimes in Christian circles that if you're not a Christian, you know, the, 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 the new world order, they're all enemies. In fact, there's only one enemy of the Christian and that's Satan. Everyone else, all human beings are, are under the power of of something, whether it be God or Satan. And, and our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, like Paul writes. It's not against people. Our battle is not against people. It shouldn't be against people. It should be against the, the things that are captivating them that we can't see. It should be against the addictions. It should be against the things that are behind the scenes that we can't see. Jesus says, don't stop him. Anyone who is not against you is for you. So then they get to another, they go on a little bit further in verse 51. As the time drew near for him, Jesus, to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, we got a great idea. Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? How Christian is that? Isn't that so lovely? Oh, it's so beautiful. Just in Jesus' name, we burn you up. Fire from heaven. Amen. No. So Jesus gets his pruning shears out. He turned and rebuked them. Now, my Bible, 
Luke does not quote what Jesus said to the disciples. I'd love to be there that day, how he rebuked them. So they went on to another village, you know, and, and it goes on. You know, the disciples, you're a disciple, I'm a disciple. Like these disciples, Jesus' word, his message is, is it's like pruning shears and it, it cuts off the bits that aren't supposed to be there or, or aren't necessary for producing fruit. So producing fruit, what's the fruit? God, God expects fruit. God expects fruit. How do I grow? Or what is fruit? So in this context, in John 15, when Jesus talks about fruit, um, he's talking about, well, the fruit in the context is a prayerful life in connection with God's will. So ask anything and you'll receive it. So it's a prayer. It's prayer and it's love. Love for your neighbor. You know, Jesus finishes this, this, this passage with a new commandment I give you. Love each other. This is, this is the point, right? So if you're connected to the vine, if you're connected to, which is Jesus, right? If you're connected with Jesus, the obvious manifestation of the DNA of Jesus will come out in a prayerful life and love for, your other, love for others. Now, if you're not praying and if you're finding it hard to love others, then I wonder if you're connected. I've got, to, I've got to ask myself that question a lot. You know, if, if, I'm, if I'm finding it hard to forgive somebody, I've got to make sure that I go back to Jesus and say, Jesus, is this a branch that needs pruning or am I, if I disconnected from you somewhere? But how do you produce the fruit? The only way to produce the fruit is connection. Connection is the key to a fruitful life. Connection. You can, um, like my passion fruit vine, we can, we can snip off a branch that already has fruit on it and the fruit won't get any life from the branch, maybe just a little bit of life, whatever sap's left in the branch, and then that's it. It won't produce fruit. It might hold fruit for a bit, might look like it's got fruit, but it's disconnected from the vine, which is Jesus. So connection is the key. Only Jesus can actually give you meaning and power and nothing else will compare. Only Jesus can actually give you meaning, meaning, meaning producing something meaningful, a prayerful life and love for others and power to do that only through connection with him. And I think communion for me is a, is a way where I can actually come to that place again and I guess come to the vine like the cross, but come to the vine and say, have I got too many leaves and not enough fruit? Is there, is there too much going on in my life, but not enough prayer? Not enough love for others. And Jesus, can you please get your sick of tears out and prune me off? <laughs> I know it sounds really rough, but that's what communion is for me. Like it's a chance where we all come to the cross and we say, we look at each, we look at Jesus, and at the same time we're looking on the inside, going, I'm still not there yet. There's still some stuff. Jesus, can you please get out your pruning shears and help me with this? Can you please, can you please cut gently, but take it away if it needs to go away? Now, fruit is not my job. Fruit is not your job. You know, I used to think if I, if I was a better Christian and I worked hard, I'd produce more fruit. As if, like, my strength produces the fruit. That's not what fruit, that's not how fruit works. Fruit is not your job or my job. It's actually his job. It's, it's Jesus' job. He is the life in the vine and we just, we just connect to him 
we just connect to him like Wi-Fi because we can't see him, but we connect to him through the Bible and through prayer, through worshipping him, through surrendering our hearts to him. We connect with him. And uh, from that, from that space, he is then able to produce the manifestation of his DNA, his fruit in our lives. You're actually finding it easier to love others. You're actually finding that you have a desire to want to talk to him more and pray more. In fact, you might be one of those weirdos that just pray for people down the street and just say, hey, do you mind if I just pray for you right now? Or, you know, a, a work colleague that might be struggling with something or losing their job or going for another job, you might just say, hey, can I, do you mind if I pray for you? You might be one of those people. Heaven forbid. But that's what God wants. He expects fruit, right? The fruit of prayer, of love, through connection with Jesus. You'll never produce fruit on your own without Jesus. You might try, it might look okay, but it won't actually be fruit that will last. Just like salvation is not your job either, it's his. Which leads me to this last point, this last scripture uh, in John chapter 13. So just flick over a couple of pages if you want. In John chapter 13, um, and we're going to come to communion just after this. But in, from verses 1 to 12, it goes like this. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave the world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Or he loved them uh, completely. Or he'd show them the full extent of his love, right? Verse 2, it was time for supper and the devil had already tempted Judas because Judas wasn't connected. Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now get this, verse 3, this is a king, right? Jesus knew that the father had given him authority. Authority over everything. And that he had come from God and would return to God. Jesus knows that he's the king, right? He knows that he is the greatest. He is the greatest ever. He knows this, right? So then, verse 4, he got up from the table. He took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the, oh, this is gross, wash the disciples' feet drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet, right? Rebuking Jesus. Jesus gets his pruning shears out and he says, Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, Then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, A person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. 
After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down. I just want to stop there, halfway through verse 12, because for me, that speaks volumes. Just that passage. Why did Jesus wash the disciples' feet? Because they were dirty and no one else was doing it. The disciples' feet were dirty and no one else was doing it. There was no servant or slave there that night. And everyone else expected everyone else to do it or somebody else was going to do it. And there was no one there who was willing to, to take off their garment, lower themselves and do the washing of other people's feet. Now, I see the cross in that. I see what Jesus did in that. I see, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son in that. I see that, that, that Jesus, before, before he was born in the manger in Bethlehem, he was in heaven with the Father and the Holy Spirit, three in one, ready to go. And what he saw, what he saw was people that needed to be cleansed of their sin. And time and time again, people would try and do it. In fact, lots of people started their own religions on how they could cleanse their own hearts from their own sins and do this this way this many times a day. Or, or how about we just make up more gods than just one God? And how about we make it possible that we could become something else after we die so we don't feel so bad about life right now? And humanity has tried and tried and tried to fix their own problem of sin, but no one was willing to get up and actually do it. And so God just took his robe off, put on flesh, became one of us, healed us of our sin on the cross. He got up again from the grave and put his robe back on and sat down at the right hand of God. It says in, in Hebrews, um, just thinking of it, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And though, sorry, and through the son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command, his word. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honour at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. That's awesome. I see that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. After serving and washing them, he put his clothes back on and sat down. Only Jesus can wash away your sins completely. Only Jesus can give your life meaning and purpose and power. Only Jesus can wash away your sins completely. Now, I wonder if we can just spend some time before we, uh, as we share communion right now, if we can spend some time just in silence wherever you are, just invite Jesus into the room and ask him to bring his shears. And just bow your head or you can kneel or something. Just humble yourself in some way. Uh, grab your bread and your juice. Thanks for passing them around, Josh. And, and uh, we'll just spend 30 seconds allowing the Lord to um, point out any branches in our life that might not be 
that he might not want in that in there. There might be a might be a, a something you've said this last week that uh, that wasn't right. You need to bring that to Jesus, and Jesus can cut it off. There might be a, a thought that you've had about somebody, and Jesus can cut that off too. All right. So let's just spend some time. This is called repentance and confession. All right. So let's do that. Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we're not perfect people. We're real people, but we want to get real with a real God. A God who loves us, a God who stepped down from heaven and, and did the hard work that no one else could do. Thank you, Jesus, for humbling yourself, for washing, for washing our sins away, the penalty of our sins away. The presence of our sin, Lord, you know it still stands. And so we come to you, Lord, and we ask, Lord, point out the places in our life that need to be cut off. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us of the words that we've spoken. Forgive us of the, the thoughts in our hearts, God. Cleanse us, Lord, from the inside out. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, God. And help us to live lives that are centred on connection with you. Help us to live fruitful lives that are simply prayer-filled and love, full of love for others, just like you. We ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So, have you had some? All right. If you haven't already, take bread. It represents the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for you. Feed on him in your heart with thanksgiving and be thankful. And the blood, the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you for you and for me on the cross. The death that he died to pay for your sin and for my sin, to cut it off forever. Drink this, knowing that your sins are forgiven and be thankful.
Amen. Well, thanks again for joining us tonight. We really pray that you're blessed and that um, God's been speaking to you about his great love. Ooh. I wanted to share with you uh, just this one blessing to send you off with um, before we go. And it's, um, it's my prayer that from his glorious unlimited resources, that God would empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.